Hey everyone. Um, you know, last last week I talked about Squid Game and like the first episode, what I thought about it. And that day that I watched the first episode, I went to work and I came back and I should have gone to sleep. I really should have gone to sleep, but I just I just couldn't. And I finished the entire thing. And I thought I would have you know, a whole bunch of notes for each episode and you know, each time I do a podcast, I can just, you know, talk about one episode. But my notes were a lot fewer per episode. And I'm just going to, so I'm just going to run through all of them. I'm not, like, I don't remember the, um, I don't remember the episodes. But I guess they are in, like, order. So let's talk about, I'm just going to go through all my notes. I, I think I have probably, like, I would say 10 or 11 notes for, like, the last eight episodes all right so the first note is you know they show like the backstories of all these people and and for say Byuk, she i guess was paying someone to get her mom from china and they had that scene where you know they're in his office and he's like oh you know you gotta get me some money and she pulled a knife on him and i saw that and i was just terrified and i was like fuck i wish that was me that's what terrified me. I was like, fuck, I need that to be me. I need her to put that knife on my throat. I just do. I, I just feel like if that was me, I would have said, fuck the money. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take my own kidneys out and I'll pay for, you know, these people to get your mom myself. Like, I'll take my kidneys out. They can have my liver, whatever they need to get your mom here. You know, let's start a real family. You know, let's get Mama Biok here and let's be a family together. That's just, that's just me. That's just what I would have done. I don't know what the guy was thinking, but personally speaking, that's just what I would have done. So that was my first thought. Oh, the the scene with the thug guy and like the Philippine casino people coming to get him. That shit was fucking insane. That's one of the best scenes. That's one of the best like two, three minute scenes I've ever seen. Where like, you know, he's he's talking to his boy and he's like, yo, you got to get me some guys. We're about to, you know rob some we're about to rob these people that got like 40 bills and he's like nah bro those philippine like those cars that you see in front and behind us that's the philippine casino bro they're coming to take your liver and everything and you know just i just thought that like just logically speaking if you know this guy is insane like the thug guy you know he's insane why would you like why why would you even be in the car with him laughing at him of course he's got like a knife or some shit of course he's gonna fucking kill you like you're laughing at him to his face what do you think he's just gonna take it there like a little bitch of course not so i thought i thought that was pretty dumb of him because he's about to die you think he's just gonna let that happen like he's gonna die with you laughing at him of course not so i thought that was pretty dumb but the scene itself it was like a 10 out of 10 that was excellent uh fucking devious like you know i've talked about the breaking bad comparisons he really is walter white like you can see him breaking slowly 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 and you know we see it by the end like he's like really fucked up but like right in the beginning you see it where it's you know he figured out the game and he didn't tell anyone and that's just like i get it a little bit you know that's what i said in like uh when ollie saved um Seong. i was like why would you do that you're already not very smart you're going to have to face this guy later on. So why would you save him? I thought that was... So I understood it from Sang's point. He's like, 
you know, I'm just not going to tell him the game. You know, I just got to get this guy out of here real quick. I thought the Oregon plotline was pretty interesting where, like, the doctor's there. So, like, these workers are like, hey, you know, let's make some extra cash. You know, the people that don't die, we're going to take their organs, sell them. And, you know, that's just how we're going to make extra cash. And for you, doctor, we're going to tell you what the next game was, even though the games were on the fucking walls, but whatever. Um, So I thought that was interesting, but I also felt like they didn't explore it long enough because it ended by, I want to say episode four or five. And there's still a lot of time left. And I just thought they could have kept that going on longer. Um, What else? Let's see. I'm on my notes. So uh, episode four or five, when they were having the fight inside, you know, the, the host and everyone, they talked about equality. Everything has to be fair. Everyone's the same. But not really. But not really. I feel like the fight inside and the tug of war game, like that's pretty sexist, like if we're being completely honest. Because of course the women are going to get fucked up inside. When the fight breaks out, of course they're going to get fucked up. There should have been like rules where it's like, you know, if you're a man, you cannot kill a woman. You just can't. Like that's unfair. So, and then on the tug of war, it's like, it should have been every team has to have a woman on there. That just makes the most sense. I, I just feel like that makes the most sense. But, no, they were like, now nah, one team's got to have all the women. And, you know, this other... Like, yeah, they won by strategy and shit. But then... So they won by strategy. But when uh, it got to the the glass game, they were like, now nah, you're, you're strategizing? We can't have this. That's fucking bullshit. So I thought it was pretty sexist. Whatever. Um... The other thing was that you can't give them better food. Like, you got fucking 50 billion. You can't give them better than that. There's no chocolate milk. There's no strawberry milk. Who just drinks 2% milk out of the box? Like, that makes no sense. Like, who does that? I also feel like growing up, you know, they always told us, you got to drink a lot of milk. You got to drink a lot of milk. And now it's like, you're not supposed to drink milk. That's actually bad for you. So, you know, I just feel like, I'm going to blame all my problems on milk. I just drank too much of it growing up. And I feel like anytime I fuck up, that's just like a negative side effect from it. All right, the marble game, that shit was fucked up. They killed so many, I guess not so many. It was probably two major characters. Ah, well, three actually. Yeah, three. It was Ali, the old guy, but not really. And then it was the other Korean woman, G. And my only thoughts about that really was, you know, Sang was a demon. And that's where, like, the Breaking Bad comparisons really get there because he really is Walter White. You know, whatever it takes for him to survive, he's going to do it. And I fuck with it. I really do. It made it really fun. Um, I also think Ali was just a fucking idiot. Like, I just think he was an idiot. Like, he had to go. There was no way he was going to survive anyways. Like, you're going you're gonna to survive to the end by being that naive and stupid? No way. He was going to get got at some point and Sangwoo was like, you know what, I'll just get him then. I'll get him right now. So I think Ali was an idiot. I also think maybe Ali was like, yo, I know I'm an idiot. I'm not going to survive without Sangwoo. So let me just, you know, keep him alive for a little bit longer. And, you know, maybe we get to like a physical competition and then I can take him out. So maybe that's what he thought. I don't know. But I just thought he was an idiot. Um, what else? Uh, the two Korean ones, like that should really piss me off. I love both of them so much. I really love both of them. When I also think it was fucking idiotic how Sabiuk died. Because 
the shards hitter. That's what it was, I believe, the shard hitter. So it just felt like they were running out of budget and they were like, yo, we don't know what to do. Let's just let's just have a shard hitter. And that's how she's going to die. That's insane. I, but I did like, you know, when he went to get the the employees because, you know, she was dying. He comes back and fucking sang was right there. That was incredible. But I still think that the death was bullshit. So then we get to like the final scene. The Squid Game scene was incredible. That game was intense. Great acting. Great action. The when he how he stops the knife, incredible. Um so yeah, that was really great. But even even that scene, I didn't really like when he when he won, but he was like, yo, we can still get out of this. Like, yo, what are you talking about? We just kill like four hundred people. You got four bill, like forty billion waiting for you. Shut the fuck up. Go win. Like we're not stopping now. That would, then it would be all for nothing. But I guess he felt in his head like that was the right thing to do, and like he's already done so much wrong that he has to do something right. But even then, that's not right then, because if you get that money, you can do a lot more things, a lot, a lot better things with that money than you would have done with you and Sang Woo getting out of there alive. Because you both have like billions of dollars of debt and there was already people coming after you, bro. Like, they're gonna fuck you up. Sang Woo's probably going to like jail for life and that's that's the option you want to take? You both just get out? That's insane. Although, I guess... Actually, I don't know. I forgot. No, no I think, I think the, the people that died... They each get a hundred million, so I guess that would have helped them out. That that would have helped them out a lot, and you would have saved a. But I guess you have forty billion. You could have just done it yourself too. I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was still dumb, and I also feel like that's not something he would have done. Where he's like, "Let's stop now." I feel like he he went too far, or maybe he saw saying Wu, and he's like, "Yo, that's someone I grew up with." Let me just. Then he just started having like flashbacks and shit like that. So as I've talked this out myself. I'm okay with it now. <laughs> I'm okay with it now. I don't mind it as much as I thought. I, I, I don't mind it as much as I did. Him not going to see his girl and getting his family back. That's one of the most insane things ever. You got all this money now. You can treat your girl. You can get your wife back probably. She sees you with all that wine. You, know, you think she's going to want to be with that fucking loser? No way. But instead, you got to be like a fucking hero. Maybe he doesn't even like his family, honestly. Maybe he doesn't like that girl. He couldn't even get a fucking fried chicken, bro. Like, of course he doesn't like that girl. I also feel like they're trying to show that his addiction is so severe. Because they did, him and the old guy, they did let that, they did let the the man sitting on the street in the cold die. So they were, I guess they were trying to show, like, this this thing matters so much to him that he has to end it. So that's why this going to be season two. I don't know how interested I'm going to be in the season two. Because Sebuk's not there. If she was there, if she had survived... You know, now we're talking about a show that I can actually watch. Um, so, yeah, that, those were my only thoughts about it. Uh, I, I started watching because Squid Game came out and people were like, oh, you guys are watching Squid Game? Alice in Borderland was much better. You guys should have watched that. And it came out before, too. So I did start. I did watch Alice in Borderland as well. And I thought that was really fucking good, too. I would, re- I would, I would really recommend that. It's based off, like, a manga, I guess. So I haven't... I don't know how similar they are, but I thought it was really good. I thought, like, the first 10 minutes are corny, so after you get past the first 10 minutes, it's excellent. But I do feel like the writing and whatnot gets a little... It goes from, like, a 9 out of 10 show to, like, 
a 7.5 after like episode 4 or 5 or something like that. Around there, it gets a little bit worse. But it's still good. Like, it's not unwatchable or anything after episode 4 or 5, whatever it was. Also, the first Japanese woman, I'm fairly confident I'm in love with her as well. So, you know, I'm only mentioning this just in case they listen to the podcast. I'm sure they're avid listeners. So, I just wanted to let them know I love them. Honestly, you guys should have seen the disgust on my face when I found out Sabiuk in real life has, like, a long-term boyfriend. I was just like, boyfriend, boyfriend, well, who cares? You know, they're just they're just titles. They don't really mean anything. Like, what is a boyfriend, quote-unquote, you know? Like, like that doesn't... You don't get, like, uh, there's no ring for a boyfriend. Nothing happens to that. You don't have a wedding or, like, a big, uh, big uh, celebration because you got a boyfriend. Like, that's not a thing. So, you know, her and I will work, you know, throughout the boyfriend thing ourselves. You know, we'll figure that out once we get together. Um... I don't know about the Japanese woman though. I gotta, I gotta do, I gotta do my stalking on that a little bit more. Um, what else did I have to talk? I finished you as well. I just didn't find it like I liked it. I binge watched it. I just didn't find it that interesting. Like I'm, I, I'll probably watch the next season as well. But it's like, oh wow, he fell in love with someone again. He's obsessed with someone new, and love found out she's gonna kill him again. Oh wow, incredible. You know, I just got. It's like it's too repetitive. So I didn't, I liked it, but I didn't really like it. I didn't find it interesting. So I, yeah, that's that, That's how I would say it. I liked it, but I didn't find it particularly interesting. Um, what other shows am I uh, Little Things. I love Little Things. I think Little Things is probably my favorite, like, wholesome show. Season one through three are excellent. I'm on season four right now. I haven't finished it. See, I also think it has the best long fight ever like between a couple like the best ever like the most realistic ever so i would definitely recommend little things um also because the episodes aren't that long season one two and i want to say i don't know about season three i don't remember but season one and two like season one for sure i think the episodes are like 10 to 20 minutes long so you know you can just try it out watch two three episodes in like 30 minutes like so, I would definitely recommend that. Alright, now let's talk about some basketball. You know, it may come as a surprise to most, but I do occasionally do that on here. Um, there's only been like f- three to four games, I would say, for most teams. So, there's not really much to talk about. Because I, I really like to get a sample size of like at least 20. To really make like some predictions or, you know, just have like some thoughts about players, teams, etc. Uh, the things I just want to talk about right now was the rule changes. And I think the player to talk about that with is James Harden. And the the interesting thing is, when before the season started, James Harden was like, yo, it's about to be scary hours, it's about to be spooky hours, are y'all ready? And now that he's struggling, it's, oh, you know, actually, I spent the summer rehabbing, actually. You know, I, was, I wasn't even, like, playing basketball. But it's like, why are you saying it's about to be scary for everyone when you're compromised? So what I've noticed with James Harden is just how reliant really he was on the free throw line. Because I was looking at his finishing numbers at the rim. Because I always assumed like James Harden's a great finisher. I just assumed it. 
And then when you look at the numbers, he's around 64% at the rim. Around 64%. So league average is around 64 Like it fluctuates from like 63 to 65%. You know, a lot of that is like, you know, centers are at the rim. So like obviously they're making their shots bigger, like wings and uh, forwards. They increase the league average as well. So like for guards, it's around 60, 62%. So he's above league average, but he's only up above it by like 2%. So you just compare his um, percentages at the rim to, let's just say, I'm going to go, I'm just going to search up another, another like his similar size, you know, that guard slash wing type of player. So I'm, I'm, I went with uh, Devin Booker. That, that's just who I thought of. Like similar size, similar caliber. Devin Booker's not as good as James Harden. Like, like he's like a whole tier, maybe even. Yeah, he's a whole tier below James Harden. But I just want, like, they're scorers. So I looked at Devin Booker the last three seasons. He's 69% at the rim. He's like 7, 8% above league average for, like, a guard. But you wouldn't assume he's a better finisher at the rim than James Harden. And what you notice is when James Harden goes to the rim and he, like, bumps into you, He's assuming he's getting that call. So, like, he does everything to get the call and then try to finish. He doesn't go to the rim looking to finish. He's looking to draw the fucking foul. And I think that's that's what you're seeing a lot of. So, like, against the Heat, he'll, he ran into, like, Kyle Lowry. He initiated the contact. And then he, like, bumped back a little bit. So, he's like, oh, that's a foul. And then he just throws the shot up. Because that's just what he's used to. He's not really looking to score. So I think what he has to do is he has to forget about the foul calls. That'll come if you get fouled. Like if you're not getting fouled, they're not going to call it. So if you have like bad matter by a beat, instead of stopping and trying to draw the foul, go and fucking finish. That's what you need to be doing. So I'm expecting him to figure it out because he's, you know, a tremendous one-on-one player even without the free throw shooting, because he can get around anyone anytime he wants. He can finish at the rim fairly well. He's got a nice little floater. Sh- he's got like he's got like a nice little floater now, and he's an elite passer in the league, elite passer playmaker in the league. So like, I'm not really worried about it. And he's like a good three point shooter as well. So I'm not that worried about it. But that's that's an adjustment he has to make, where when he's getting to the rim. Yeah, you get bumped because you initiated the contact. That's not getting called this year. It has to be like dumb bumping you, not you bumping them. And then when they bump you back, now you're falling to the ground. Like that's that's bullshit. That was always bullshit. And now you're not getting that call. So I think he can figure it out. I think he will figure it out. And the Nets will be fine. Like I'm not like that worried about them. Like I had my concerns about them to begin with, but we're like five fucking we're like five games in or whatever so i'm not like i'm not gonna go in i'm not gonna go into it just because like the bulls are like what four and one and they're like a pretty close game against the knicks right now and i don't want to talk about the bulls oh like their defense their offense and then 15 games later they're like nine and 11 or whatever nine eleven. I, I that was unfortunate of me i didn't mean to say that they're let's say nine and twelve let's move on from nine eleven. I've already forgotten about 9-11. Like, you know, they're always talking about never forget. I've, I've forgotten. I don't ever think about 9-11, honestly. Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I just don't want to spend so much time talking about uh, their defense, their offense, what players are exciting for them. And then 
a couple games later, they're like below 500. So I'm going to avoid that. The things I just wanted to talk about, the rule changes, and I wanted to talk about some players that look noticeably better. Just like you watch them and they look like they've added something. And the first player that comes to mind is Miles Bridges. Because Miles Bridges last year was a good player. He was a good player. He averaged 13, 6, 2, almost, like, I'm going to do per 36 because he probably did average a block and a steal per 36. So last year, per 36, he averaged 16, 7, and 3, almost a steal, a block a game. He was making 87% of his free throws, 40% of his threes, and uh, 59% of his two-pointers. This year now, he's averaging 27, 8, and 2, 1.8 steals a game. Uh, over half a block a game. He's shooting 91% at the line, 40% from three, and 62% of his two-pointers. So his true shooting was good last year. It's great this year. And the, the the big difference this year is he's more confident in that three even than he was last year because he became a good shooter. And one of the indicators of a a player becoming a good shooter, I always think, is the free throw shooting. So his rookie year, he was 73%. His uh, second year, 81%, then 87%. So I'm guessing he's a good shooter at this point. So he knows he's a good shooter. He knows that wasn't a fluke. And uh, last year he was taking four and a half threes. Now he's up to seven and a half. So like he trusts that three-point shot. And since he's become a good shooter, now he can get to the rim because now you have to guard him at the three. So like you go out to contest, he's at the rim now. And he's been he was so good he was so good last year. And I guess, you know, I guess they saw him in training camp and were like, okay, we got something here. That, you know, last year he only started 19 games and P.J. Washington was their power forward. This year he started all of the games and P.J. Washington is the one coming off the bench. And I think th- this this is the type of thing that when you go to evaluate a team, we're like, oh, you know what, they need another guy, they need a third guy. This is, this is the type of thing that you love to see where it's, you know, in... Like, the development from within. And Miles Bridges becoming... I don't think he's going to average 26. I think that's a lot. I think he can get to 21, though. 22 points. Maybe 20 to 22 points. I think he can get there because he's a good shooter. And if you can shoot, you can get to the rim then. So his ball handling's better. He looks like he looks to be a better defender this year as well. Like, his stance looks really good. And another thing that he's done is added more off the dribble... So last year, he was getting assisted on 72% of his shots. This year, it's 49% of his uh, shots. 49% of his two-point shots. So last year was a lot of like transition, offensive rebounds, pick and roll, uh, pick and roll, roll man. This year, like I said, like now he can make the three, so he catches. They, they run out to him. He gets to the rim. Or he's in a pick and roll, and he can get to the rim. Um, so he's doing a lot more of that. And one thing, another thing that they've done is... Yo, you are not taking any mid-range shots. We are not doing that. We we don't do that. So only 2% of his shots are mid-range shots. He's getting to the rim at like an elite rate. So they're still doing like the pick and roll romance stuff. And he's an elite finisher at the rim. He's got like, he's got pretty good touch around the rim. And, you know, he didn't get extended. I think what I heard was, not heard, like I don't have like fucking source or anything. Just what I've read was they wanted to give him like 80 million, 80 or 90 million. And he was like, Oh no, I got something for y'all. I'm I'm about to get a max. And 
I think the player, I think he's going to average 27 and 3 this year. Good defense, good shooting. And I think they're going to have to give him the max and he's going to he's going to have earned it. So, you know, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Charlotte because now you got LaMelo, Miles, you still got PJ Washington, you still got Terry Rozier, you still got Gordon Hayward. And Kelly Uber is there on like a pretty decent contract. You got James Bugnay, who's not even playing yet. He could become something. So like they have a lot of good pieces there. And I do wonder, I like if I were dumb, if I'm dumb, I would try doing like a Hayward and Rozier for Ben Simmons type deal. Like that's what I would try doing. Because I think that makes sense for both teams a lot. Like Ben Simmons, you know, you get shooting around yourself you got Lamelo who can shoot bridges can shoot pj washington and then start he can shoot and then you just get like another big that can kind of shoot and now defensively you got pj six seven miles six 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 seven uh ben simmons six seven six eight Lamelo six 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 seven and you know then you also have your center so like Oh, Kelly Oubre can be out there. You can throw out, like, a really nice lineup. And the, th- the the reason I said get Ben Simmons and, like, not keep Hayward or Rozier is... I think Rozier is pretty good. But I think he's already, like, 28, 29. Maybe 28. Um, and Hayward's, like, 30-something. So with Ben, you would have someone that's pretty similar uh, timeline with LaMelo, Bridges, PJ... That's just what I think. I think, and I think he gives you a higher ceiling as well. All right. So the next player I want to talk about is Anthony Edwards because I want to talk about it for a, like a couple of different reasons. One, you know, he's one of my favorite players in the league. You know, he's just I just I just love listening to him, and I think he's a great player. Okay. So the things I wanted to talk about him was just the dude looks like shooting guard Zion Williams if he was in shape. If Zion was in shape and like. Like the shooting guard slash small forward version of that, because he's like six five now. He looks taller than D'Lo, and I think D'Lo's six four and a half, six five. So Edwards is probably like a legit six five, six six, and he's built like a fucking tank. So if he's playing shooting guard, I think he has to be in the conversation for like strongest shooting guard ever. Because if you watched uh, the Wolves and the Bucks. He was putting Chris Middleton in the rim every single time. Like, Chris Middleton is a very solid defender. I would say a good defender. And Edwards was just like, I don't care. You know, you're not in my weight class. You know, game on the line. I'm taking you to the rim. I'm getting an and one. And there's nothing you can do about it. And there was nothing Middleton can do about it. Uh, he's explosive. His handle looks better. Uh, he's passing the ball more. I like that. And defensively, he looks, like, pretty good. Like, defensively, he looks like, you know, last year I thought he was average to below average this year he looks above average to like solid and good and you know if he can lock in that's really good and one thing i've always liked about edwards is he was like so my three-point percentage and my mid-range percentage they're essentially going to be the same so i'm just going to take a shitload of threes so he's taking less mid-range shots like he's still taking them because you have to take them like end of shot clock or if it's wide wide open you have to do it but he's taking like nearly 46 percent of his shots from three and that's the, that's the that's what you want to see when your mid-range isn't that great. If you're making your mid-range at like a 36, 37% clip, yeah, then like turn those into three point more three-point shots, which is exactly what he's doing, which is exactly what he did last year as well. Uh, th- and the thing with him is his pick and roll is better. They run a lot of uh, Edwards and Cat pick and rolls. 
because Cat can roll to the rim and he can uh, space the floor. So like, if he's spacing the floor, the big has to run out to him. Edwards get Edwards can get to the paint, or it's a switch and Edwards can beat the big, or they pass it to Cat and Cat's got the mismatch. All right, so the things that the thing that I I'm not sure I really like about this team so far. Like I like the Wolves, I like their talent, and the thing that I don't like is how much. Like, Carl Anthony Towns might be the most versatile offensive big of all time. He can post up either hand, fadeaways, hooks, mid-range, three, catch and go. They run fucking, like, Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, Steph Curry type of place to get Cat open for threes. That's the type of shit they do. And then you go and look, and it's like, Cat's setting 100 screens. He's doing all this other stuff. His usage rate is lower than Edwards. And D'Angelo. And D'Angelo. And I just feel like they're not... I feel like they have to use him more. Like, when the game gets tough, it can't be Edwards and D'Lo just because they're perimeter players. Go get the ball to Cap, man. Let him do shit. You know, Cap's only taking 18 shots. D'Lo's taking 17. Edwards is taking 23. Like, one of the games, Edwards had to take them because no one was making anything, and I think Cat got fouled out. But even that, I just feel like... They need to do a better job making sure everyone knows. Yo, this is Cat's team right now. Edwards, you might get there sometime, but this is Cat's team. When we need a bucket, we're going to Cat. Cat has to be our leading, um, you know, attempts. Not, I guess not attempts. Like, yeah, you know, I'm going to say attempts. Attempts and usage and touches guy because he's that, he, he's that fucking good. So... You know, that, that's that's the other part I want to talk about, like, uh, Ant. Because, like, he's obviously improved as a player. But I think he needs to understand, like, this is still Cat's team right now. All right, let's talk about the next guy. And I want to talk about John Morant. John, I, the, thing, the one thing I love about John Morant and players like John Morant is they're a whatever-it-takes player. They're whatever-it-takes player. So, like... Similarly, are like just throughout history, it's like Walt Frazier, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Chris Paul, and a bunch of other players as well. It's that, you know, they're willing to score 18 points, get 10 assists. But if you need me to, if you need me to, if, if what we need is me to get 30 points, I will get 30 points. If that's what it takes, I will get it. And John Morant's doing exactly that. He's averaging 30 points. Nine assists. He's turning the ball over too much, and he, you know, his three point looks, his three point shot looks pretty good. And the thing with him, like the difference between someone like him and Russ is like quickness and uh, speed wise, just probably a little faster. But the thing is, Russ doesn't have great handles, so he can't really break his man down like that. Ja has a tremendous handle, so he can break his man down and get to the rim a lot better and quicker than um, Russ does. So, you know, um, Jaws making his mid-range shots, making his threes. He's getting to the rim at will. He's got, like, a nice enough footer. So, like, you know, he's doing just whatever it takes, and it doesn't look like he's being selfish. He'll get off the ball. He'll let other people do things. He's not a, I have the ball the entire fucking time. No one else can do anything. Everything is me. So, like, you know, I've been really impressed with Jaws and just his ability to get to the rim. I do wonder how much wear and tear that puts on a player of his size like can he really do that for a whole season i wouldn't want him to like ideally 
what you want is him being at like 23, 24 points. You know, when Dylan Brooke comes back, I imagine their defense will be better because it's really bad right now. And it will take some scoring edge off of him. Um, Jaron Jackson has to be better, so like that takes some scoring edge off of him. Uh, Kyle Anderson has to be better, so that takes some scoring edge off of him. So like, you know, they just have to do what when they get back. When Dylan Brooks gets back, I feel like they will be better. Uh, the other player I want to talk about from that team is Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain is an elite shooter, and he's turning something into it like a nice, not secondary because he's not that good yet, but like a tertiary ball handler. You know, running pick and rolls, creating off the dribble, end of shot clock, you get it to him, run a quick pick and roll, mid range shot. So like, and he's a, like I said, he's an elite mid range shooter. So like, he's an elite shooter in period. So like, he makes the threes and he makes the mid range shots. So, you know, I've been impressed with him. 19 points, I don't see that happening for the whole season, especially when Dylan Brooks comes back because he loves to chuck the ball. So, like, I think he'll be around 15, 16 points. And I think that's a pretty... I think I think Desmond Bain, even more so... Actually, I don't know. I was thinking about more so than Dylan Brooks. If I... Okay, if I just had to trade one of them, I would trade Brooks way before Bain because Bain just seems like a guy who's going to continue to get better on defense. And he's already an elite shooter. And he's shown some ability to handle the ball. And I think he's not a chucker. He's not like Dylan Brooks is a chucker, even though he's an elite defender. So it, it, I guess it comes down to like the balance of do you want the elite defender who likes to take 15 shots and he's making like 42% of them? Or do you want the guy that's a decent defender, decent passer, playmaker, elite shooter? Next to John Morant, because John Morant's going to get to the paint a lot. And he's going to, you know, try to find shooters. So do you want Dylan Brooks out there or do you want Desmond Bain out there? Because Desmond Bain's going to make like 40 to 42, 3%, probably for his career. Dylan Brooks is going to be like 35, 36%. And I just wonder what you want around it. Like, you could probably keep both of them around it. Like, I don't think that's a big deal. But I think for the Grizzlies to get to where they want to get to, they need one more guy. Or, you know, you're, or maybe, like, Zaire Williams turns into that guy. Maybe Desmond, Desmond Bain becomes even better. So, like, I guess stuff like that could happen. But, you know, if you were to trade, like, two, three of your guys for one, like, all-star type player, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking I would probably trade Dylan Brooks over Desmond Bain if it came down to that. All right, let's move on to the next player, which is he's not, like, he's not making, like, a big impact or anything, but he's making an impact after for, like, two years he didn't. And we just kept hearing about, oh, he's he's going to do something. He's going to do something. And that's uh, Nasir Little on the Portland Trailblazers. Because he's finally he's finally showing up. And he's not like a starter. But he's turned himself into like a nice rotation piece. And the funny thing about him is, you know, we kept hearing about he's going to be something. He's going to be something. And then he wasn't. And everyone was like, oh, you know, it's been so long. And then you then you look up and you're like, oh, he's he's 21. He's 21, 22, I can't remember right now. Yeah, he's 21. So it's like, maybe, you know, we should give these guys a little bit more time to become something. Just maybe. So he he's definitely become a nice rotation piece for them. And this is he's the type of player that you need. And if he can become something even more next year, now you have a team that has enough assets for you to go get, like, another guy. Because now you would have... Norman Powell, you can trade. You can trade uh, Covington. 
And, you know, you can package them together for, like, and, like, a couple picks for, like, another all-star guy. And now you have Dame, CJ, Nasir, and one other guy, and Nurkic. So, like, you know, I think him, I think he adds a lot more depth, depth to that team, not depth. He doesn't add depth to that team. He adds a lot more depth to that team. And, you know, he's showing some nice two-way potential. So, I'm, I'm happy for him. Uh, the Blazers are still only 2-2, two and two, but still... And the other thing we're noticing is CJ McCollum is healthy. And last year I talked about this, how CJ has implemented... CJ and Dame both implemented analytics to their game and t- took a took a step up in a tier of players. CJ got hurt, so like we didn't get to see it for a whole season. And, you know, with Dame, a couple years ago we saw it. And I call it the 50-50 split, where... If you are a good to great shooter, you start taking 50% of your shots from three. And that's exactly what CJ McCollum is doing right now. You know, CJ McCollum is taking 10 and a half. He's taking 21 shots, I believe. How many is he taking? Yeah, he's taking 20 shots, 10 and a half from three, so a little bit above, and nine and a half from two. And CJ is a great elite mid-range shooter, like elite, elite, elite. So he hasn't stopped taking mid-range shots, but he's just taking a lot less of them. You know what I mean? He's taking a lot more three-point shots. And that's exactly what I wanted to see from him. And, you know, I talked about this last year, and he got hurt, so, like, it kind of derailed it. But I think if CJ can, like, continue this type of performance, now you go from an all-star caliber player to a for-sure all-star player. Like, a for-sure all-star slash star type player. You go up a level. Uh, Defensively, he looks much better, too. I feel like... Like, their defense hasn't been great so far. I believe it's only... Oh, it's actually 15, so, like, it's been all right. And it, do, it does seem like Chauncey's got them playing more defense. Like, you know, if you talk to a lot of, like, the Blazers fans, they're all talking about, oh, you know, yeah, Dame is struggling, but, like, watch him on defense. He's he's way more engaged than he's, like, almost ever been. Um. So, yeah, like, CJ, I think he's going to continue... He's going to do what I thought he was doing to start last year if he can stay healthy because he looks really good. All right, the next guy I wanted to talk about was Josh Giddy. Because, jo- like, I watched some Josh Giddy stuff, like, last year. Because people were talking about, like, oh, you know, he's a great prospect. He's a great prospect. He's 6'9", point guard. So I thought, and the only thing I thought was, the, my only impressions were, his handle looks really slow. And he's he's kind of slow. But I've been really impressed with just how composed he is out there. I'm shocked by how... Just people just can't like take the ball away from him. Like he, like I, I thought people were just gonna rip the ball from him. I thought he couldn't dribble in the NBA, but like he can get he can get to the rim. He can he's really big, so obviously he can see a lot of passing lanes. You know he's rebounding well. He's playing pretty solid defense, and that's just something I didn't expect at all. I didn't expect him to be so composed out there. I didn't expect him to adjust to the NBA so easily. I really thought his handle was gonna be a big weakness. And he was going to be, I don't, he, he wouldn't be like a point guard. He would be more like a connector, Hidu Turkulu, small forward slash power forward. But I think he can play point guard in the league because he gets to the rim pretty, fairly easily. And he's making his jumpers right now. So I want to, and I don't think he's a good jump shooter. He's making them right now. So I want to see how this looks 20, 30 games in when maybe his jump shot comes down a little bit. So we'll see about that, but he looks he looks really good. The other rookie that's impressed the fuck out of me, like he he he's probably the number after Bridges, 
actually even me, maybe even over Bridges. I'm like in love with Evan Mobley. What Evan Mobley is doing on defense is just a tier below what like Anthony Davis does on defense. And he's fucking like 20 years old. He looks tremendous. He's rebounding the ball. You know, he's switching on to guards, wings, help side defense, playing the passing lane. He's doing it all. He's he's tremendous. Pick and roll, he's finishing at the rim strong. And, you know, him and Allen look pretty good together. They're also playing Laurie Markkinen, who's shocked me as, like, a perimeter defender. I was shocked at that. Um, Laurie Markkinen's been pretty good, too. Um, but on Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, I just don't see long-term how that can work out, really. Because Mobley's not really a... Like, he's making his free throws, but he's not a good shooter. And Allen can't shoot. So I just wonder, long-term, how they're going to work that in. You know, maybe at some point you have to trade Allen. I think that I think that's probably what you would have to do at some point. I, personally, if it was me, I would package Allen and Sexton, and maybe you can get like a star type player. Uh, so, I, I, but I've been just, I'm I'm in love with Evan Mobley. I think he's, I think he's just been tremendous, and he looks to be a guy that's going to be a defensive anchor with some offensive skill, some passing skill, some ability to protect the rim, ability to protect the rim at an elite level, and then also switch on to uh, guards and wings. So his potential is super high, and I think the uh, Cavaliers struck gold with him. I think he's going to be like a superstar, star-level player in this league. All right, so let's talk about the next player, Scotty Barnes, another rookie. And him and OG have the same hair, right? Like, it feels like their hairline's pulled all the way back, but like, Somehow, they both make it work. But anyways, let's talk about Scotty Barnes as the player. Firstly, he's getting a lot of minutes because Siakam's out. And, you know, one thing I, I heard about Scotty Barnes was just that if you put him out on the court for 30 minutes, he's going to accumulate stats. And that's exactly what he's doing. Like, he's doing a little bit of everything. He's scoring when he can. I don't think, it doesn't feel like he's forcing any shots. The shots that he's taking, it feels like those are the shots that he should be taking. Uh, he can't. He can't really shoot like that. You know, he's making his free throws right now, but like seventeen percent from three. He's not taking a lot of threes. He does spot up in the corner though. It's interesting. He'll spot up in the corner, and then by the end of the possession, he's like, he he still he won't have the ball, but like he'll just cut to like the free throw line area, and then he'll like throw up this floater. And that's where I look how, how many he's taken. Yeah, so I'm not wrong about that. He's taking nearly 35% of his shots from, like, that 3 to 10 feet area, like that floater area. So, like, he'll spot up in the 3 and then just come to come to the free throw line. So, you know, he and he's making a lot of them, 55%, which is elite, elite, elite. He's finishing at the rim really well. Um, I, I imagine these numbers will come down just a little bit. So he's off to a really hot start. Defensively, he's been great. You know, playing a lot of power forward, guarding some wings, some point guards. And, you know, I really do, like, he's got so much potential. And OG's really good. I really do wonder if they would be better off right now just trading Siakam already and giving Scotty Barnes all the minutes, trading Siakam, and just trading Siakam and maybe even Fred and getting, like, another star-level player back. Like a younger, like a young star player back, and then you got something here because now you got the star player, whoever it is. You got Scotty Barnes, OG, Gary Trent still there. 
that's like a nice four uh four players right there achua looks pretty good so you know i think that's what that's just what i would do because i don't want to take minutes away from scotty barnes and the thing with the thing the interesting thing with that is nick nurse isn't afraid to go like yeah you know what scotty barnes says minutes all right we're gonna do fred gary og barnes siakam like i'm not afraid to play that lineup 40 minutes a night if i have to i'll do that so i guess you could get minutes even with all of them together but i think long term i would be looking to move siakam and fred really but i think for this year next year even it's not like like you don't have to trade them but that's just what i would be looking to do to get like another star player in in um so yeah uh, scotty barnes looks really good uh, I'm really interested to see how many minutes he's at once Siakam does come back. So, you know, those were my interesting players that I've noticed to start the season. And uh, I think that's it for today. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. Sunday afternoon Oh, wheeling Couldn't get away too soon I can't imagine Anything that's better The world is ours Whenever we're together Like